the Thundersticks Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about potential trade-up situations for the Thunder, if it's even in play leading into the lottery, the draft philosophy that Thunder should use at pick 12, and I also want to talk about DJ Wilson and the current news surrounding his status. And to top it all off, guys, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. Guys, I've been doing a lot of scouting lately. A lot of it has actually come completely off like the actual draft grid. I'm looking at a lot of different late second rounders, undrafted players, so I might have some content on the undrafteds later on this pod. I know for some it might be like, why does it matter? Especially for a team in OKC who, it, it, depending on who you ask, might have too many draft picks. Actually, with 2, 12, 30, and 34, they're going to have to boot some guys out, and it's going to be a brutal training camp. But there still is value in undrafted players. You can pick them up off of two ways. We saw Aaron Wiggins at pick 55 last year. He was a slam dunk for the Thunder. Lou Dort, undrafted player. Deontay Burton, undrafted player so there is real value I'll be talking about those guys potentially it really just comes down to if you guys care or not I can always talk talk you know top prospects but that's really where I put a lot of my resources and that's why you have not seen a ton of pods lately we're going to be ramping it up as we get closer and closer to draft day though we're inside the three week mark it's pretty crazy how fast everything is kind of coming to a head but going into the Thunder situation. Pick two. I I don't see that getting traded. And <laughs> I saw Keith Smith had some tweet earlier a couple days ago where he was mentioning that, you know, he's seen OKC based on people he's talked to as like a natural trade partner. It makes sense because they have four picks in this draft and roster spots could get crunched. But you have to remember, Sam Presti was talking about in his exit interviews that he doesn't mind the idea of taking everybody with those four picks, having a jam-packed training camp, and just letting them duke it out. When you look at guaranteed money, number one, pick 34 is not guaranteed money. Whoever you pick at 34 could be terrible. Hopefully that's not the case, obviously, but you could waive them and it wouldn't cost a penny. Also, in NBA terms, if you waive your first round pick, late first round pick, you're going to take a hit about $1.5 million. That's not terrible, to be quite honest with you. And you can front load some of that money as well uh, when it comes to getting the money off the books. In OKC, I don't expect them to have their money all tied up this season. It's going to be the 2023 24 off season where you start to see a lot of the money come in but right now it's not overbearing so you can definitely take some of these risks I think if the Thunder make a trade it's going to be a consolidation of picks 30 and 34 however there has been a lot of people talking about 12 is it possible to move up from 12 into some of these higher picks and I just want to give my take on it because I think you know when you look at people on Twitter or you look at you know, people in the fan base, you're obviously going to be optimistic and you're going to try to, you know, speak things into existence. But you have to kind of look at it head on and think, well, this trade's good for the Thunder. 
what about the other side? Because it would be amazing to have pick two and four, pick Ivy at number four and get Chet or Paulo, whoever you want it to. That's great. But logically, can you make a trade package for that? One of the trades that was mentioned came from Matty Moles, and he had this uh, posted yesterday. He also works on a pod himself, so make sure to check him out over at Topic Thunder. But he was looking at the pod from Sam Vecini earlier this week where they're mentioning the Knicks might want to clear up some money to get Jalen Brunson. He's an unrestricted free agent this year. He just came off of a monumental postseason run with the Dallas Mavericks. So he's looking to make a lot more money. Former second-round pick. I think his deal was a three-year, $4.1 million contract. It could have been a four-year, 4.1. But he wasn't getting paid uh, near what he's worth. So he's going to be one of the hottest players on the market this summer and they need money to operate with that so the deal that he proposed was that the OKC Thunder would get pick 11 Nerlens Noel and Alec Burks in exchange for Kenrich Williams picks 30 and pick 34 for Oklahoma City if Sam Presti gets this phone call it's happening let's just call it how it is Kenrich Williams is like the heart and soul of this team, right? He basically was tossed in as a guy that, by all accounts, was supposed to get cut in training camp. Who was he packaged with? He was packaged with Zylan Cheatham and Joshua Gray. Joshua Gray doesn't play in the U.S. anymore, to my knowledge. I think he went overseas after getting waived by the Thunder, and Cheatham... He's actually a really good G League guy. I think he's playing for the squadron right now. Super athletic. Arizona State ties. You talk to Rob Edwards. You talk to Lou Dort. They'll mention him. I talked to Rob Edwards back in January, actually. And I was asking him about Lou and his time being roommates. He wanted to talk about Zylan as well because he was a very good player. And that Arizona State squad was pretty damn dangerous back then. But he's got skill. He didn't stick around, though, and when you were looking for an easy pick to get rid of, Kenrich Williams was kind of at the top of the board two years ago in training camp. You had guys in Frank Jackson, for example, making their case. TJ Leaf was hanging around, Admiral Schofield, and one by one, they started picking away. TJ Leaf, I think everyone was okay with him gone, all right? Schofield, People were thinking he he was like the Lou Dort type body, which he is. He's like 6'4", 240 pounds. He's gone. And then you get down to the final cuts. Someone in Roby gone. I'll tell you right now, I did not. He did amazing in the high-low with Teo uh, in the preseason. But then you had Kenrich, Darius Miller, and Frank Jackson. They decided to cut Frank. Personally, I don't know if I would have done that. I think that he really showed that he could contribute. Maybe that was something they didn't want necessarily. They just wanted to kind of coast through, um, you know, the 2020-21 season without much in the win column. I don't know if (laughs) they thought Frank was going to drop 20 points to them or anything, but they cut him. Maybe you go with Darius. Maybe you go with Justin Jackson. That's another good one. You can float around there. But Kenrich got to stay. And he went from 
kind of this surprise guy to stay on the roster to one of the better guys last year. And this season, he continued to stay productive. He's the type of guy off the bench that will get you 10 points, 5 of 6 shooting, play well on defense. Teams value that, and now he's going into his contract year. It's $2 million flat right now. Absolute steal to get him off this sign-in trade. It was was a three-year, $6 million contract. And you would think that over time, this trade value is going to just decrease. But teams would still like Kenny Hustle. I'm sure teams called at the deadline. New York might want him as a veteran piece. And that's kind of where you go with it. But Kenny's a great guy. If you are getting proposed, pick 11 though. And you're giving up 30 and 34. Kendrick Williams is not going to be the deciding factor. Even if he is one of the premier guys on your bench. He's talked about how he wants to stay in Oklahoma City. I think that means a lot. But, I mean, that's just too good of a a deal to pass up on. Noel, he's making 9.2 mil next year. It's a team option after, so it doesn't really matter. It's about 9.2 if they were to pick it up as well. And Alec Burks is identical. He's making $10 million next season. One plus one, it moves to about, let's say, 10.2. That's $19 million to keep on the books for one season. That's not that big of a cap hit, and you jump 19 picks. That is the craziest value you're going to find. So OKC does this immediately, but for the Knicks, I just don't see this happening, right? Like, for me, if I am the GM, you put me in the chair for a little bit, it's going to take a lot to trade a lottery pick, and... It's no guarantee in free agency. Brunson's unrestricted. I'm sure you can make a nice offer to him, but he could still stay in Dallas. You could see a sneaky contract come in from anybody else, and he could go that way. I'd rather just try to get him off a sign-in trade, personally, and make the numbers work that way. Remember when KD walked to Brooklyn? He was an unrestricted free agent. Golden State got D'Angelo Russell in the deal. They move him again, get Andrew Wiggins. There's still ways to navigate through this. Like if Brunson is just set on going to New York, it can happen without this trade. So for me, I wouldn't do this if I was New York. I don't think 11 would be on the table, especially if you're not offering 12 along with it. The one thing is you look back in time, teams really do value salary. And if they are trying to make the playoff push, they're willing to sacrifice some of the future. Prime example, look at last year. Right after the draft ended, Derek Favors gets traded to the Thunder. Conditional second round pick goes Utah's way, but they sneak in a first rounder to Oklahoma City. That now has value. They're going to have to deal with the Quinn Snyder situation, but you got a first round pick for basically taking on... 20 million dollars 10 mil last year and 10 mil in the upcoming season you can kind of see the perspective however I just don't think the Knicks are in that sort of situation right now and I don't think you make this deal um you know unless you have Brunson pen to paper which is not how the schedule ends up aligning Maybe you're able to get some sort of deal with the Knicks 
if it involves 11 and you're not giving up another first rounder, that's just Presty magic right there. So I'll shoot down that one. I'll veto it if I'm uh, the commissioner or if I'm working with the Knicks right now. But it is a very intriguing thought because you get two 11 and 12. Two dice rolls in the back end of the lottery. One of them should hit. And you can go high upside on one of the selections and high floor on one of the selections. Fill out basically all your needs because if you take Chet, that solidifies your five. You still need some front court pieces at the four and the three. You can also go uh, those directions as well. So I think it's great. I just don't know if, if that would really be in play. And when you look at this lottery, I think it's going to be harder to trade into than what you'll think. And for a team like the Thunder, it it doesn't hurt that they are a rebuilding team. But as you'll see, like in the middle of this lottery, there are teams that could want win-now players. Now, it starts with the Kings at four. I don't think the Thunder would be able to make this deal because... If you're trading with the Kings, you need to include Dort, number one. They, they need to win now. They put all the cards in to get to bonus at the trade deadline. You have Fox right now. You got Mitchell. You need to make something happen. And if they can get Paulo or they can get someone um, that's deemed top three at number four, that's great. But you could also see them trying to trade the pick and get like a Jeremy Grant type player. That's the one thing that you might consider, but I don't think OKC would be able to touch it. For the Pistons, they're rebuilding. Basically, they're in the same competition pool right now. They just got shanked in draft lottery. Uh, OKC did last year, so it's a bit of a passing of the torch, if you will. I don't think there'd be a trade there. The Pacers, I don't think so. I think that Dyson Daniels would be great at six. Um... I know that his stock has, like, risen to the point where that's not a hot take anymore. But, like, whenever the cards are revealed, it's like, yeah, Dyson Daniels would look pretty damn good next to Tyrese Halliburton. I think it still sticks that way. The Trailblazers at 7 is intriguing because they could look to contend again. you got Nurkic, you have Damian Lillard. Obviously, they went on their kind of fire sale getting rid of Norman Powell, guys like Robert Covington as well, and C.J. McCollum, that's the big one. So they need to find some sort of direction. I know Simons is going to be like that protege apparently, but do you move seven for like Dort, you know, or, or could you get a better offer than that? I'd say it's a potential trade spot. I don't know if it's ideal for the Thunder. At 8, the Pelicans also really piques my interest. I think if Dyson Daniels is at 8, he goes here because the Pelicans need a point guard, I'd say. And it's not even for like a starting spot right now. Like they are they are great and they assembled um, their, their roster just so well. <laughs> like all props to them. Getting Herb Jones in the second round. Jose Alvarado. Got guys like B.I., C.J. I know Jonas could be hitting free agency, but if they retain him, that's going to be big. They're sitting pretty going into next season. So I don't know if they need to be taking many risks here. It's sort of a luxury that they have the eighth pick. So just 
pick whoever you want. Your team is still relatively young, and try to get him working in the system. Dyson would be great. If they like a player like Ty Ty Washington, and they're just set on him, that's when you consider them moving back to 12, and OKC might throw you 30, 34 would be in that mix. I think almost you'd, you'd rather send future first if you're New Orleans, because right now, I think they're sitting pretty, but you know, it always depends. 30 definitely still holds value, and you can pry out some good talent, as they showed last draft cycle. The Spurs at 9 makes some sense now. They kind of have the same exact needs as OKC, which is why you might not see them as a suitable draft or, or trade back candidate. But they also go for those flyer picks. Joshua Primo was the shocker of last year's draft. If they have another shocking pick, let's say a Jaden Hardy, where he was supposed to go lottery, he was considered a top five pick, and now, you know, sometimes you'll see him in the 20s. That could be their guy, whether it's at eight, at 12, anywhere on the sport they could shoot there. Or they could just find any other type of prospect in reach if they are really feeling confident about it but I'd say that's one you'd put on the map same with Washington I think they'd want to uh, kind of build upon their assets right now and if they're only moving down two selections I think there is uh, the consideration there New York I just don't really see the need to move from 12 to 11 like just see where the Knicks go with it and you pick at 12 in the offers I think 12 and 30 are probably going to be a must. Then you go into future capital or pick 34. Lou Dort is being kind of brought up as this trade piece over and over because I think it makes it easy. Honestly, you look at the Thunder's roster. They have SGA. They have Josh Giddy. That's the set and fire cornerstone pieces, if you will. Lou Dort's been a hell of a player, but the whole... Room is basically saying, well, if you can trade Lou Dort to get another young prospect, you might as well do it. I still think Dort is very much part of this team. I know that there is the thought of him being an unrestricted free agent if they don't secure him on a future contract, but you know, Dort is the guy that Presti has been dying to get for years and years and years I can't stress it enough I probably said on the last three podcasts but they've had to go through players like Josh Eustace Terrence Ferguson Roberson to get to this stage and obviously like is he getting defensive player of the year is he getting on the defensive team he hasn't to this point but he can play at that level we saw it in the playoffs against Houston and offensively he's really showing a bright side of his game so you don't take his skill set lightly. This is very valuable, and I'm sure he'd be dominating on a playoff team right now. They just need to get back to that stage, and he'll show it again. So as I said, like I, I just don't think he's a guy you're trading or actively looking to trade right now. That leaves other you know veterans at stake. I know Derek Favors is one that has been mentioned in some deals. $10 million that's able to give you some flexibility in terms of trades and it's an expiring so that helps in bringing on a lot of luggage in um, any sort of trade where you accumulate some assets I, I just don't think that 
they have any like win now players that they can trade right now. Maybe Kenridge Williams, like they can give good role players, but you're not making a, a trade for a draft pick just with a player. You need picks attached. And to trade up, I think you still need to look towards, like I said, 12, 30, 34 is obviously um, going to be in consideration. But then also, like, they have a crap ton of future first, 19 to be exact, in the next, like, seven years, I think. So you can throw one of those in as kind of that final sweetener. I'll be talking more about any sort of trades if it's back in the rumor mill. That's just sort of my stance on it. I think they stand pat with 2-12, and 12 and maybe, just maybe, they look at moving 30 and 34 because they do have a history of consolidating closely knit late first-round picks. Anyways, though, I want to pivot over to the draft philosophy at pick number 12 in one second here. First, though, I want to let you all know about this special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Are you ready for the NBA champs to be crowned? Join the finals action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA bet and get $150 in free bets instantly. Looking to turn another small bet into a big payday during the NBA Finals? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals, and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. As I'm recording this, guys, this is like, right after the end of game three who would have guessed marcus smart was dropping 20 plus points in this contest he dropped two in game two i believe it was ends up popping off stealing the show with 24 points seven rebounds and five assists you could have gone with anything here you could have said over under 0.5 points you would have made 150 bucks over a DraftKings sports book but I just think it's cool seeing Smart dominate, not just because he's, you know, an Oklahoma State guy. I don't care if he's OU, OSU. They're over there succeeding. I'm going to be happy about it. But, um, you know, it, it's good to see. It's good to see Marcus uh, able to pick it back up. The one thing, and I don't really think it's a good comparison, but you look at just like those crazy finals performances where let's say the Celtics win. What are Warriors fans thinking about 10 years later? And this is coming from someone who's been, you know, following the Thunder for 10 years. I think of the Mike Miller game where he pops off for 20 plus points. And that's not the determining part of the, the series, but that's how they got the 3-1 advantage and obviously took game five. This could be one of those pivotal games where Marcus Smart goes crazy for 24 points and then 
he simmers down kind of back more to the defensive oriented guy but I mean he just sprung up and had this breakout game for the Celtics I know he's still a very good player for them like he's playing 35 40 minutes a game so it's not unexpected or anything but I always look at those like really high quality like I don't want to say smart's not a role player but like Mike Miller he was a role player when role players pop off on the big stage, you always seem to remember it. With Smart, he's a he's a solid starter. He's getting awards for you. But um, it was great seeing him, not just amazing defensively, but on the offensive side of the basketball as well. And for Oklahoma City, they're looking to sure up on both sides of the ball as well. You look at number two, I think any way you slice it, you're getting an amazing player. Is Jabari going number one? All people are pointing towards it. I don't think it's for sure. Like, it's a great fit. But if you want to go shooting for the moon, Chet makes sense. If you need a ball handler and if you need that, you know, kick offensively, Paulo is going to do it for you. Jabari is the off-ball piece that is amazing. But with a little bit of time, you can get him dominating with a ball in his hands. He's already amazing going into his like two dribble pull up anyways. So he has potential and defensively you already know he's an absolute menace. Can't go wrong. Wherever you're at though, if you're the Thunder, you have two options out of that top three. Consensus. And you even have Jaden Ivey who I don't think fits this team based on their rotation and their roster right now. But he's a top three guy in this class I think you can make the case for that explosive athlete he's shown the ability to shoot it from downtown athleticism doesn't just fade away at the NBA level and with the way he slashes to the basket he's going to be dangerous I could see him going to Houston at three honestly but let's just say hypothetically Chet is the option at number two OKC's back on the board at number 12 where do you look to go with this selection You'd have Chet paired up with SGA and Giddy. Dort's obviously there as well, but your big three, when you're looking at it, will be Chet, SGA, and Giddy. Are you looking to go for a fit around those players, or are you still looking for home run hits? I don't think Chet is like a home run swing. I think his floor is still pretty high, even though there's weight concerns. I'm not that worried about it. It's more on the injury side, uh, if anything, but... I think his floor is him still being a very dangerous rebounder who can still pop it from downtown. So you're going to be settled. If you need to find a fit, they still need to get someone at the four or even the three. And you need an off-ball threat as well. I think those are the kind of big hitters. So if you can find an off-ball three or four, that's where you really yield some success. But any off-ball guy, I think, helps. And Benedict Matherin is one of those players out of Arizona. Very good athlete. He's shown he's pretty good at shooting off the catch as well. And defensively, he looked pretty solid. That's one where I think he fits in the category of maybe BPA, but also fit because you can never have too much of like a 3 and D prospect, or just an off-ball guy. Does he go on the bench? Probably right now. 
and you'll have a, a really good unit between him and Trey Mann. But I think that's where you'd kind of place him. I don't think he's starting right away for you. At the power forward spot, there's guys like Tari Eason that would be available. Jeremy Sohan is the big talk of the town right now based on his defensive play. And then offensively, if he gets his shot going, that's a guy that would be a top 10 pick in a redraft in all likelihood. Are they even available? I think that Benedict could be gone. And I think Sohan very well could be gone. Tari, I've heard that like he's sliding in the draft, and I don't know why. I think he's probably just had a poor time in, in workouts or whatnot. Whenever I was evaluating him, I kept thinking of Noah Vonley for some reason, and I don't think... I think, number one, Noah Vonley kind of got screwed based on a situation because um, he didn't get to play at all when he got drafted and he never got more than like 15 minutes per game but um yeah I'm looking at Tari as this super nice player around the basket he's been a, a good shooter it's on low volume if he's hitting threes you know this Vonley comparison is ridiculous I think when you look at collegiately the tape they do look similar around the basket but you got to start looking a little bit beyond that Tari should be better than what Noah Vonley was in the NBA. <laughs> um, and if he's shooting the three, you already know he's a great athlete in transition. He's going to give you an absolute nightmare lineup playing with Chet in a front court scenario. And defensively, I don't think he's given enough credit as his defensive potential. I think people look at him and they look at the negatives. The three ball doesn't look that pretty. Defensively, you could still make a case that he's raw but there's still a lot of upside there and that's why I throw out the Vonley thing it's based on a few highlight clips don't take it to heart to be honest with you um but if they like him even if he's projected at 20 could take him makes sense based on um kind of their spot now he's another like six eight power forward I know you have that in Baisley already and Poku is also lurking along this lineup and he's kind of positionally locked at the four which could be an issue but that's just another prospect I would throw into the pot I think we're going BPA you look at guys like Benedict Johnny Davis has been in consideration as for myself I haven't looked enough into Davis's fit with the Thunder I kind of prefer book night in terms of how he looked coming out of college in comparison to Johnny but like I said I haven't looked between the lines exactly on how I think Johnny would operate next to SGA Giddy and how he gets the minutes uh, um, to be honest with you but one player that I do think is in contention for 12 is Jaden Hardy out of the G League Ignite and it sounds ridiculous because he's not deemed a lottery prospect right now and he didn't have good splits at all with the Ignite this year he was shooting in the 30s from distance he was hovering around the 20 percents but he was showing a lot of flashes from all three levels you look at Oklahoma City and their tendencies they have shown they're just picking whoever they like right now. And that could change in a, a heartbeat. And it makes sense why if they were really looking to go in a direction right now. But if they just want to go 
high upside. Who they think is going to put the ball in the basket. Hardy is a guy you would consider in the lottery. That's just how it goes. Top three prospect in his high school class. I think he was number two right behind Chet. With the Ignite, he's averaging 17.7 points per game. He's throwing down posterizers. Very nice off a step back. It's not Jalen Green nice, but he has the step back in his bag, and he's shown he can be a three-level scorer. The problem is on defense, but if he can be a solid defender, that's when he can be really scary in terms of his overall ceiling. In Oklahoma City, it is a rough fit because they already have a a shot creator who kind of needs the ball and Trey Mann. But I think Hardy, you can also put him in an off-ball role where he's that second option. And even Trey worked well off the catch with SGA. So that's where you kind of get that duo in the second unit. And you start to really phase out some of the players in the backcourt. There has been so much congestion the last two seasons at the one and the two. And I think they're finally solidifying what they want moving forward. They got guys in Kenrich and Aaron who I think are going to stick around. Players like Teo and Ty have sort of been on the outside looking in for a little bit. Lindy, he's on a two-way deal, so he'll be moving back and forth. But I think if you get Hardy, Lindy's now more of like that flex. Like if someone's injured, that's when you call him up, not just you're playing 20 minutes a game right now. But I, I just think the scoring ability of Hardy does make him someone you look at. I don't think he goes to 20. I don't think he lasts until the 20s. It's probably more likely he's, he gets picked in the lottery than he gets picked in the 20s. I've seen him get picked in the 30s on some mock drafts. Houston is the final destination, I think, for him. They're at pick 17. If they get Paulo or really anybody besides like a, an Ivy or something, Hardy should be the pick so much upside you already have Jalen Green and I know Jalen Green might not be like your point guard of the future per se but he can handle the basketball for you you get Jalen Green Paulo and Hardy together that is so much offense and you have Sangoon I don't know how teams are going to counter that in a couple years you know so I think there's some swing for the fences options. I know Usman Jang is also in the picture there as someone who has a lot of room to grow. And you can try to explore that if you are in the Thunder seat. There's a lot of different options here. And even at picks 30 and 34, there's going to be options not just straight up taking the pick, but also trying to move up in the draft if they would like to there. The history of it shows you don't get crazy results like if they get with 30 and 34 down to pick 25 that is a major leap last year it took them two high quality seconds to move two spots so that kind of tells you how hard the market can be to break into you just kind of need one yes though to get things rocking and rolling and I'm sure Presti will be kind of assessing everything in terms of where he can look to for trade-up deals. I want to move over, though, to the OKC Blue coverage. I haven't talked about OKC Blue stuff in a little bit here, and it's because it's off-season time. And because of how the NBA works, it is a trickle 
down system. Everything starts at the top and it works its way. It works down to exhibit tens, two ways. G League players. So G League is the last to pick up coverage. But when it comes to members of last year's roster, you're going to be able to find some tidbits from that. One little throwback here before I get into DJ, Ryan Woolridge, actually, and he, he was a bench guy last season for the Thunder back in the bubble. He signed with Little Wayne's agency yesterday. Young Money, APAA Sports, Charles Bassey is signed there, Rondé Hollis Jefferson is, so it's a pretty good agency to be with. There's a lot of different NBA guys, some high-caliber G-leaguers as well, so I'm wondering where his next move is. If he's looking to return to the NBA or the G-league, he didn't play a lot in the Greek Basket League this year, so it could make sense for a jump. DJ Wilson is the man, though. DJ, I think if he didn't get injured, probably would have played with the Raptors to end the season. He was that good for them. When you look at his stats, he ended up playing seven games, excuse me, four games for the Raptors. Averaged seven and a half points, four rebounds, and 1.3 assists. All working on the inside. He chucked up two three balls, but he was more of like a back-to-basket guy with the blue this year, and it worked. You tend to see a lot of G League players play back to basket and it doesn't move over to the next level well but for Wilson's case he still had the mid-range in his arsenal the three ball kind of fell off in the G League this year but it didn't matter for him he was still hitting free throw line jump shots off of screens and that's all that was needed there and truthfully for some teams that's all that they need for the Thunder even What did they want in favors? They didn't want him fading to the top of the key. They wanted him shooting at the foul line and hitting at a consistent rate. DJ is able to do that, and he's done very well on the glass and very well when it comes to posting players up. As of now, he's an unrestricted free agent, no ties to the Thunder because they didn't offer him a contract. Raptors didn't give him anything more than a 10-day deal, so he can go anywhere this upcoming offseason and when DJ Wilson's name is brought up it's almost like for those who aren't following the G or aren't following the Thunder or Raptors it's one of those random names where you think that he's like 30 years old now because he just hasn't been playing too often but he's also been floating around as like this role player name forever he got drafted in 2017 but he's only 26 like He's still fairly young, and if I'm a playoff team, I think picking him up on a minimum contract wouldn't really hurt. He'd be a solid 14th or 15th man, and the Lakers are looking to fill some of those needs. As you all know, they are dealing with a ton of financial woes. You have guys in Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, LeBron James. That basically does it already for you, and then you have to start picking in a luxury tax for some of your other guys. They want budget options that will contribute, and because of that, they're looking to get more vets in. This is something that they always do, bringing in the 30-plus-year-olds to be the final guy off the bench, and it traditionally works out. Wilson was in one of their free agent workouts on Tuesday, 
The participants included Langston Galloway, Kyle Guy, Alizé Johnson, Lewis King, and Wilson. All of those guys were balling out in the G League. Galloway for the Skyhawks, or yeah, yeah, he was with the Skyhawks. Kyle Guy, he was moving in and out. I think he was with Sioux Falls for some of the season. Alizé Johnson, I mean, he was playing in the NBA, so... You know, he basically was an NBA player this past season. And Louis King was also floating around. But for what the Lakers need and what they've needed, they need front court help. And they don't need someone to play 20 minutes. They just need they just need a roster filler. They need someone that can bridge the gap between Davis and their next man in the rotation. It's that simple. And I think for a guy like Wilson... He's been in and out of basically the same role his entire career. With Milwaukee, he never really got the chance to break out. I talked about Noah Vonley earlier in this podcast. Like, even though he's ruled as a draft bust, a lot of draft success is based on situations. You put him on a team that wants to play him, you put him the same Noah Vonley from his draft class and this current Thunder system, I'm sure he's given you good outputs and his whole career trajectory could be changed. So that's something you got to look at. But with DJ, you know, off the get-go, he's not looking to stuff the stat sheet. He's looking to contribute in a small amount of minutes and be content with it. With the blue, he got the chance to be the star. That didn't happen really at all with the Bucks when he was down with the herd you know he also was bouncing some plates here and there but this was by far his best season in the G League and he was working on the glass more than ever I didn't think DJ Wilson was as good of a rebounder as he ended up being it wasn't just defensive rebounds that he was snagging he was a better offensive rebounder than he was on the defensive side of the ball you know what we saw in the bubble we saw seven footers in Omer Yurt Seven and Moses Brown getting offensive rebounds. When I see DJ Wilson doing that, and he slimmed down, he's not this seven foot two guy, he's 6'10, 230 pounds. I'm very impressed. This was a power forward. He hasn't been playing center really at all as a professional. He moves up to the five, and he's one of the best fives in the G League. He was probably the best guy in the winter showcase. Had he not signed a 10-day contract right before the finale, which could have screwed them out of $100,000, they didn't win, so I guess it did, (laughs) but um, yeah, like, he was the premier guy during the regular season, also was the premier guy, and the stats are going to reflect that. In the Showcase Cup, he averaged 14.4 points and 9.6 rebounds. And in the regular season, he averaged 19 points and 11.1 rebounds. Had some blocks to go along with it. Getting to the free throw line a solid amount. You gotta remember, free throws are kind of a screwed up stat in the G League because if you get fouled, Unless it's in the final two minutes of a half, it's one free throw. So he shot 2.4 this season. And years prior, where you actually did shoot two on a shooting foul, he was averaging about that. So his rate increased dramatically. He was looking to shoot 
basically the same amount, just way better percentage-wise. He shot 54%. And when you look at what he was doing on twos, I mean, he was just eating it up. He shot 61.7% from there. I think that's something that translates, honestly. And you could try spacing him out again from the three. I know that's why he was drafted in the first round. The Bucks really thought he could be that stretch four, and he didn't end up being that. But with some time, I think maybe he's able to spot up a little bit, maybe from the elbow or whatever. Base level, this is an NBA role player, though. And whether it's the Lakers, the Raptors, any playoff team, Someone should recognize this, and I know it gets brutal getting down those final spots, and it's so cutthroat for some of these NBA veterans to hang around, but Wilson, in my time watching him and covering the blue last year, he's earned this shot, so I'm excited to see where he goes. One of the things with the G League is your roster traditionally does not stay the same. In the Tulsa 66ers days, guys like Mustafa Shakur were the big guys because they stayed for three years no one stays for three years in the g league either you switch affiliates or you go overseas or you make the nba we're gonna have a couple of those cases upcoming xavier simpson rob edwards jalen horde and melvin frazier jr will be potential guys that could stick around for a third year frazier has his rights acquired by the thunder based on that two-way contract. So that was a little bit of shenanigans from from Nazi Muhammad. But it's very rare. And even for guys that stayed for one season, players like Jemias Ramsey, for example, they might also switch affiliates. And we'll see a lot of this in Summer League where they're going to like try out with other teams and see how it goes to get a training camp spot. Um, But we'll have to find the roster in time. It's going to be a process for the blue, but we can look at the previous members as I talked about, and DJ should be NBA bound, at least from the tape he should be. Anyways though, guys, that wraps it up for today's podcast. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.